In our sermon series, we're going through the book of Acts. Luke picks up where his gospel left off and continues the story of Jesus, detailing the church's birth, growth, and expansion. The book of Acts is about what the risen Lord Jesus accomplishes through his spirit-empowered church in the fulfillment of God's purposes for the world. During our service today, we believe God has something exclusive to say to you. And we hope that you feel his love stronger today than ever before. Make this day count. And thanks again for spending your time with us. Good morning, Freedom. It's great to see everybody today. Thank you for joining us online, those of you who are are connecting with us there. Um, I want to ask you guys, how many of you enjoy traveling? Anybody? Some of, some of you enjoy traveling? I love to travel. I, I really, I mean, I, anytime I get the chance to, to go on a trip, I love to go on a trip, love to travel. And, uh, but one thing I've learned about traveling is, is that anytime you travel, and this is some advice, you might want to write this down, put it in your notes. Anytime you go on a trip, any travel that you have coming up, I want, what I want you to do is I want you to lay out all of your clothes that you're going to pack for the trip and lay out all the money that you think you're going to need for the trip. Take half the clothes and double the money. <laughs> Have y'all found that to be true? I found that every time I travel, like Murphy's Law kicks in. Anything that can go wrong, will go wrong. Everything that we thought was going to, the, the, everything that could go wrong, will go wrong. Anything that can go bad, will go bad. And, 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 anything, and nothing is as easy as it looks. Anybody experience that when you travel? That's just the way traveling is. I mean, it's, it's, and it seems like it's getting worse and worse. Especially, listen, if you travel with kids, oh my goodness. Just multiply the trouble that you're going to experience when you travel with kids. But here's the reality. That's also true when, it's follow, when we follow Jesus. You know, when we follow Jesus, anything that can go wrong sometimes will. Everything takes longer than you think, and nothing is as easy as it looks. That whole idea of just accept Jesus and your life is going to be fine, just accept Jesus and your life is going to be problem-free, that sounds great. It's just not true, is it? The reality is following Jesus is hard. And following Jesus has challenges. And today we're going to see in, in our study in the book of Acts a shift in the story. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13. We're actually going to cover Acts 13 and 14 today. And I know some of you are going, oh my gosh, we're going to be here forever. But what we're going to do, this is actually Paul's first missionary journey. For those of you who don't know, Paul went on three missionary journeys. And those three missionary journeys uh, consisted of traveling over 10,000 miles where he planted over 14, around 14 churches. And every time we see in, this, in, the, in, this, in, in Paul's missionary journeys, every time the gospel advanced, problems increased. Every time the gospel moved forward from city to city to city, as the gospel went forward, problems got harder and they multiplied. And we're going to see that in this first missionary journey as Paul 
travels really from the city of Antioch, which became the hub of Paul's Gentile mission, what we see is that there's going to be arrest and persecution and imprisonment. And and every time the gospel advances, things get more difficult. But I also want you to notice today as we think about and we talk about and we look at Paul's missionary journey, I want you to see how this missionary journey of Paul's really parallels our own journey. How it really parallels our walk with Christ. Because I have no doubt if you're a follower of Jesus today, you've had some really great times and really difficult times. You face challenges and difficulties in following Jesus. And you've had those God moments and those gospel wins in your life. Because the truth is, the Christian life is, is, is full of ups and downs. It's full of challenges and victories. It's full of difficult days and, and days that are glorious and, and, and just incredible. And, and the reality is then we're going to see this in Paul's missionary journey that our lives really mimic and look at and, and, and look a lot like his journey. So what I want to do today, I want to do something a little different than what we normally do. Normally we go like verse by verse through through this uh, through the text. But what I want to do is I want to give us a big overview of this missionary journey, looking at the major stops, and then I want to come back and I want us to pick out some key takeaways, some key applications from this first missionary journey that Paul goes on. And so that's where I want to start today. I want to just give us a big overview and then some key lessons. And so big overview is this. Paul begins in Syria, which is the city of Antioch, which would be modern day Syria. And on this first missionary journey, there are three guys. Uh, there's Paul, there's Barnabas, and then there's a young man named John Mark. Many of you may know who John Mark is. He is the author of the gospel of Mark. And so he, the three of these men are on this journey. This journey takes two years. They travel over 1,200 miles. Their first stop is Cyprus, which is an island uh, off the coast of Turkey and, and Greece. And, and there they go immediately and they share the gospel with the Jewish, in the Jewish synagogues. They come in contact with this man named uh, Sergius Paulus, he was the governor of the area, and he sent for Paul and his companions to come and share the gospel with him. But here's the problem, and I encourage you to go over this, is all in chapter 13, go read it up for yourself, but I want to give you this overview. They're confronted by this man named Bar-Jesus, um, and he, he also went by, went by the name Ilamus, and he was a sorcerer. Now, this is wild stuff, go read it, it's crazy. He's a sorcerer, and he confronts Paul and, and Barnabas. And the reason he confronts them is because he doesn't want the governor to give his life to Christ. He sees all these people turning their lives over to Jesus and giving their lives to Christ. Well, Bar-Jesus doesn't want that to happen. So he confronts Paul. Paul looks at him and says, You child of the devil... And then Bar-Jesus goes blind. All in chapter 13. He goes blind and as he's, as, as, uh, while he's blind, the governor sees this, hears this, and gives his life to Jesus. He believes the gospel as a result. Well, from there, they go to the next stop. 
is Pamphylia. And there is also, in, that is a city or an area in modern day Turkey. As they make this stop, John Mark leaves them and heads back to Jerusalem. Well, as we don't know why he leaves, but we do know that he and Paul have a falling out. And we're going to see in Acts 15 later on that this created a rift between Paul and Barnabas. John Mark abandoning them created uh, uh, angst in the relationship that Paul and Barnabas had. And so John Mark leaves and, and Paul and Barnabas continue on the mission. They share the gospel in the synagogue. They always began with the Jews and then eventually started preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But here's what happens in Pamphylia. The, 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 the Jewish leaders at first were receptive to the gospel. They wanted to hear the gospel. They wanted to know about Jesus. They invited them back a week later to come to the synagogue and preach the gospel again. Well, you know what happens when they arrive back? Now they're resisting. They have time to think about it. They're like, oh, wait a second. We don't know if we believe in this whole Jesus stuff. And they begin to resist Paul and Barnabas. And then this major pivot happens in the book of Acts. Paul begins from this point on to, yeah, he will still share the gospel in the synagogues with the Jews, but the focus of his ministry, the focus of what Paul sets out to do now shifts to the Gentiles. It shifts to you and I receiving the gospel. And so Paul begins to focus on reaching Gentiles with the gospel. And in this city, many Gentiles come to know Christ. Many begin to believe the gospel. Now, this is what's crazy. Even though the Jewish leaders once were receptive, then were then dismissive, because the Gentiles believe, they now get jealous. Doesn't that sound like us? Like, I don't want what you want, but once you get what you have, I, don't, I want it now. And that's kind of what's happening. And they're like, we, they get jealous. They stir up this persecution and they chase Paul and Barnabas out of the region. So then they go to their third stop, which is a town called Iconium. They preach to both Jews and Gentiles. God did some miraculous signs and wonders through Paul and Barnabas, causing many Jews and Greeks to believe. Non-believing Jews stir up the city. And the more the gospel advanced, the more opposition Paul and Barnabas faced. The more the gospel advances, the more opposition they face. Sounds a lot like our journey, doesn't it? Listen, the more the gospel begins to infiltrate your own heart, the more you desire for holiness, the more you desire to please Christ, the more you desire to live for Christ, guess what? The more opposition you're going to face the more challenging it's actually going to become. And that's what happens with Paul and Barnabas. Their missionary journey mirrors our journey. And as they, as they preach the gospel, this, this plot is, starts to take place. And, and these, the, the non-believing, non-Christian Jews, the, the, they begin to plot against Paul and Barnabas, and they plot to stone them. It may not be the kind of stoning you're thinking about. It means they would throw rocks at them until they were dead. Not a, not 
Not, not what you want to experience. And Paul and Barnabas had to flee Iconium because of this plot to murder them. And then they make one final stop before heading back to Antioch. And it's the region of Lystra and Derby. In this area, Paul heals a lame man. And the locals, this is this, the locals in that area begin to believe that Paul and Barnabas are manifestations of Zeus and Hermes, the Greek gods. Can you imagine? They heal this man. This man has been lame. Paul says, get out the power of Jesus Christ, heals this man, and then the priest that was a part of Zeus's temple starts bringing out cattle to sacrifice for Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are like, whoa, no, we are not gods. But we do serve the God. And they begin to tell them about Jesus and they begin to preach the gospel to them. And, and again, many people come to know Christ. But what happens in this region, in Lystra and Derby, the Jews from Iconium and the Jews from Pamphylia, they travel to Lystra and Derby and they stir up trouble again. This time, they convince the people to stone Paul. And they think that Paul is dead. So what they do is they drag him out of the city and they leave Paul for dead outside the city walls. The church, the disciples, go running to Paul to check on him. Paul gets up goes back into the city and preaches the gospel. Can you imagine? These people that had just thrown stones at Paul, that had thought, they thought he was dead, they put him outside the city. Now he is alive and well, moments later, preaching the gospel. Well, of course, many people believed. They're like, oh, yep, I think, I'll, I, I, think I want what he's got. And then Paul and Barnabas returned back to Antioch, their home base. And on the way to Antioch, they return. And as they return, they go back to each one of those cities. Each one of those cities where they had faced opposition. Each one of those cities where they had preached the gospel. Each one of those cities where people had given their lives to Christ. And what they do is they return, they strengthen the church, they encourage believers, and they appoint elders for each one of those congregations. So now... That's the big picture. Let's dig in and let's, let's look at how this applies to us and what are some key lessons that we can learn here in this text. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to actually go to the end of the story and then we're going to come back to the beginning of the story. I know this message is all mixed up, and I, uh, you know, so you're going to have to bear with me. But I believe this helps us understand and grasp the key lessons from this text. So uh, let's go to Acts 14 and look at verse 27. And when they had arrived, this is back in Antioch, when they had arrived, they gathered the church together. And they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So here, what we see is that 
Paul and Barnabas get back to the church. They get back to Antioch and they share all that God has done. They're like, listen, man, guys, you won't believe what God has done. Bar Jesus was, was, was blinded. This lame man was healed. They stoned Paul thinking he was dead. He, he went back in, preached the gospel. Many people came to know Jesus Christ as a result. And so over and over again, they share this story. And part of the reason I believe they share this story is because this, this major theme that we see throughout the book of Acts is this, that God's kingdom advances. That God's kingdom moves forward when ordinary people, just like you, and just like me, carry the gospel where we live, work, and play. You see, the reality is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are already called to be a missionary. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to live on mission. And so Paul and Barnabas get back to the church in Antioch, And they share these stories encouraging the church to live out their faith, to carry the gospel. And we know that we're called to be on mission. Every single one of us know that we are called to live on mission. In fact, Jesus said that he gave us the mission, didn't he? He said in in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, this is your mission. As a follower of me, your mission is to go and make disciples. What does that mean? He tells us. It means teaching people to observe all that he has commanded, and behold, he will be with us. That's what being making disciples is all about. It's helping others become more like Jesus. It begins with sharing the gospel with people that don't know Christ. It, begins, it, it continues by helping those that do know Christ grow closer to Christ. And so Jesus says, this is your mission. I want you to go and make disciples. But Jesus wasn't done. He said, tells us how. He says, but here's what's going to happen. You will receive power. You will receive what? Power. If you want to know how to, where we get power to, to be his witnesses, he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 and Acts 1 verse 8 what our mission is. We're to make disciples. We're to be his witnesses. Every single Christ follower, that is our calling. But here's the reality. Most of us will not be called to go on a two-year, 1,200-mile journey like Paul and Barnabas. Most of us will not be called to go overseas to be a missionary. Most of us will never have to set foot out of this country to carry the gospel. But the reality is every single one of us are missionaries. You're going, Eric, how am I a missionary? I pretty much stay in Evans, Georgia all the time. 
Well, guess what? Where God has placed you on the map, it's where He's called you to be on mission. Where God has placed you on the map, it's where He's called you to be on mission. You don't have to leave home to be a missionary. You don't have to cross an ocean to be a missionary. The reality is all we need to do is cross the street. Cross the office. Cross the ball field. Whatever the case may be, that's where God has called us to be on mission. He's called us to be on mission wherever we are. Wherever you find yourself. Wherever you spend your time. That's where God has called us to be on mission. Now I want you to notice. In the church in Antioch, only three people left to go on mission. The rest of the church stayed in Antioch. And it's a reminder that every single one of us Wherever you are right now is where your mission field is located. That's where we're called to be on mission. And if Paul's first missionary journey is filled with some invaluable lessons on us fulfilling our calling, on us being missionaries, on us making disciples, being his witnesses... There are some invaluable lessons in this text that teach us how to do just that. And so what, that's what I want to look at for the remainder of our time. First lesson is this. It's found in Acts 13, beginning in verse 1. And it's this, that we're to be obedient to God's call. Listen to what Acts 13, verse 1 says. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... So basically what, what Luke is telling us, he's saying, I'm going to list out the leaders of the church. You know, every church has leaders. This is, these are the leaders of the church at Antioch. And he says, here they are. the Barnabas. There's Simeon, who is called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. So he lists these leaders. He goes, these are the leaders and then it says in verse 2 what they were doing. While they were worshiping the Lord, and while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. And then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the first principle we see is that we have to be obedient to God's call. We see the leaders in this church, they're praying, they're fasting, they're worshiping. In other words, they're seeking God's will. They're saying, God, what is your will for our church? What is your will for our lives? Well, God reveals and he says, I want you to set apart Saul and I want you to set apart Barnabas. And then I want you to send them. Now, what I want you to notice is what is very clear is the command for Paul and Barnabas to go. But did you notice what's not so clear? Where they're to go. God just says, I want you to set them apart. And I want you to send them out. Very similar to Abraham, right? When God calls Abraham and sends Abraham out in, in Genesis chapter 12, God says, I want you to go and I want you to leave your land. But he doesn't tell him where he's going to go. 
See, oftentimes, folks, our obedience to God is one small step at a time. God says, I want you to take this step. Then I want you to take the next step. Then I want you to take the next step. But oftentimes, we want this whole blueprint. We want it all laid out. I got news for you. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't guide us that way. What he calls us to do is one step of obedience at a time. One step of obedience followed by another step of obedience followed by another step of obedience. And here's the reality. If we try to circumvent or we try to miss one of those steps of obedience, God always calls us back to our last step of disobedience. To our last moment of disobedience is what God calls us back to. So if God's called you to take a step, and you try to get two or three steps ahead of Him, guess what He's always going to do? He's always going to call you to go back to that first step of obedience. So you see Paul and Barnabas being obedient to God's call. It required them to step out on faith. It required them to leave their comfort zone. And listen, church, if you are going to be, and if I am going to be a gospel carrier, it is going to require us to step out on faith. It is going to require us to leave our comfort zone. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk to someone about Jesus. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to, to confront someone or to have a conversation with someone. And, and sometimes that is uncomfortable. But the reality is we have to be obedient to God's call. Now you may be going, well, Eric, God hasn't called me. Do I need to go back to Matthew 28, Acts 1-8? Yes, God has called each and every one of us. Our responsibility is to be obedient. And sometimes that requires us to step out on faith. Sometimes that requires us to step out of our comfort zone. But here's what I want you to see. That that obedience to God's call came as a result of the leaders in the church, these Christians gathering and worshiping and seeking God's will. See, sometimes we don't have direction in our lives because we haven't sought it. If you remember last week, we talked about prayer. And we talked about from, Matt, from Luke chapter 11 how prayer is about continuing to ask, continuing to seek, continuing to knock. Sometimes we're seeking direction in our lives and we don't have it because we've stopped asking, we've stopped seeking, and we've stopped knocking. But here's what I know, that if we seek Him... We will find Him. If we genuinely, earnestly, fervently, continuously seek God's will for our lives, His direction, He will guide us. But we have to be willing to say yes to those God prompts, those times where He nudges us and leads us and guides us. Paul and Barnabas could have easily said, we've been sent, we came from Jerusalem, we're here in Antioch. We're good. But God led them and prompted them and they were willing 
to say yes. Here's what I've discovered. And I've learned in my own life that obedience, obedience to God flows from spending time with him. And we see this principle in this text. It says that they were, while they were worshiping the Lord and while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. See, it's, it's time in God's presence. It's spending time with Him both corporately like we are today and privately like we should be doing every day. That the Lord begins to speak to us, begins to lead us, begins to guide us. And it is through spending time with Him that our obedience flows from those moments with the Lord. Those times with God is where obedience flows from. So when we worship, when we pray, when we study His Word, out of that comes obedience. So the first principle we see is just that. We see obedience to the Lord's call. The second principle is this, reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. So... Being sent out by, what? The Holy Spirit. They went down from Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So Paul and Barnabas, one in verse 4, or verse 2, they're fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks. Verse 4 They're obedient to the Holy Spirit. They're relying on the Holy Spirit. And they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. And now look at verse 9. Saul, who was also called Paul, was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Over and over again in this story, if you read it, you will see how Paul and Barnabas were constantly relying on the Holy Spirit. They were constantly submitting themselves to the Holy Spirit. They were continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again in this text, it talks about the Holy Spirit empowering them, filling them. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit guides us, directs us, consumes us. We seek the Holy Spirit for guidance, for discernment, for wisdom, for strength. The Holy Spirit's empowerment of us and the Holy Spirit's empowerment of Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, we see in this text, he gave them the ability to overcome their challenges and to speak boldly the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because Scripture commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, he said this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, you and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that we surrender and yield to the Holy Spirit. Where does that yielding and surrendering come from? It comes back from what we just talked about, spending time with Him. 
spending time in His Word, worshiping, praying, and then yielding to Him and being obedient. Scripture talks a lot about how we are to walk in the Spirit, to yield to the Spirit, to surrender to the Spirit. It means that you and I are influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. What is the result when you and I are influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit begins to bear in our lives, and we begin to, we begin to experience the gifts of the Spirit in order to serve Christ. And so let me put it as succinctly as I can. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have our thoughts, our desires, our values, our motives, our goals, our priorities, everything in our lives surrendered to God. Surrendered to His Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means to be guided and controlled by the Holy Spirit and nothing else. And nothing else. And that's what we see with Paul and Barnabas. We see them filled with the Holy Spirit. We see them obedient to God's call, filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were guided by the Spirit. They were yielded to the Spirit. They were walking in the Spirit. But also, we see number three. And this is the part we like to skip over. Hardship and trials always come with following Jesus. They're all part of being a follower of Jesus. Let's look over at chapter 14, beginning in verse 19. And it says this, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day, they went, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And so what we see here in this text, we see that, that Paul and Barnabas encountered difficulties. They encountered trials. I mean, none of us have been stoned for following Christ. Nobody's drug us out of the city thinking that we're dead, but that's exactly what they're going through. They are, they're encountering difficulties, and they're encountering trials and challenges. But here's what happens, I think, oftentimes when you and I face challenges and trials, we think, well, I must be out of God's will. Oftentimes that's my first thought, right? If something gets hard, if following Jesus gets hard, I'm like, ah, I must be out of the will of God. But Paul and Barnabas were right in the center of God's will and still faced trials and tribulations. Listen, just because we're following Jesus doesn't, make, doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. But we have to be willing to endure. We have to be willing to endure trials and suffering persecution and sometimes we've got to understand that sometimes following jesus doing god's will 
puts us right in the middle of those trials. Sometimes doing God's will puts us right in the middle of suffering. We don't like to hear that, do we? Like, I want, I want to come to Jesus and have everything work out fantastic. I want everything to be perfect in my life. I want everything to be easy in my life because I've come to Jesus. But that's not always the case. Now, He will give you peace. He will give you an abundant life, but He never promised an easy life. And Paul and Barnabas, by doing God's will, put themselves right in the middle of suffering and persecution. But there's a fourth principle in this, and it's this. Persistent, we have to be persistent in sharing the gospel. Look at chapter 14, verse 3. So they remained there for a long time doing what? Speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So Paul and Barnabas, get as they went from city to city, they spoke boldly of the gospel. They preached the gospel with all boldness. They, weren't, they didn't hold back. They weren't afraid to share. And every time we know that they faced opposition, but yet they continued to speak the word of God boldly. Listen, our job... Our role as missionaries is not to convert anyone. Your job is not to convince anyone to give their life to Christ. Your job is not to convince anyone or argue anyone into becoming a Christian. What did Jesus say? Our job, our role is to be witnesses. We're just to tell of what God has done. We're to proclaim the good news that Jesus loves us, that he died on the cross for us. That he rose again three days later and we can follow him and know him and have a personal relationship. We can have peace with God and be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And listen, as you and I share the gospel, some will believe, some will reject. And regardless of what anybody's reaction is to the gospel, our job, our role is simply to share it. We don't convert anyone. That's the Holy Spirit's role. That's what God does. He's the one that draws men and women to himself. Our role is just simply to be a witness. What does a witness do? A witness just tells what they've seen and heard. They just tell the truth. That's what a witness does. And that's what we're called to do. And so, But oftentimes if somebody rejects the gospel, we think they're rejecting us. They're not. They're rejecting the gospel. And if we share the gospel in a loving, kind way, it doesn't mean that a relationship with someone who doesn't receive the gospel is over. It means that we just continue in that relationship, continue showing and sharing the love of Christ in word and deed. That's what that means, which leads to the final piece, and that is this. We demonstrate love and compassion. We demonstrate love and compassion. Look at chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him and said that he had faith to be made well. And in a loud voice, Paul said, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. 
What is this showing? It shows that Paul and Barnabas, through their acts of kindness, opened the door for the gospel. Oftentimes it is our acts of kindness, our love and compassion that opens the door for the gospel. It opens the door for us to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they go hand in hand. Our words must follow our deeds. Our deeds need to follow our words. Listen, if we go and share Jesus with someone at the office and 364 days out of the year they think you're a jerk because you are one, how's that gonna go? how are you going to share the gospel with them? If you're a jerk every day at the office, except for the one day you get the guy alone at the, in the break room, you're like, hey, by the way, I need to share Jesus with you. Well, you've been a jerk the entire time I've known you. So the application, church, stop being jerks at work. Love people. Have compassion on people. And when we do, it will open up opportunities for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. See, if we're, if we're relying on the Spirit and we're yielded to the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentle, self-control, will be evident in our life. And as the fruit of the Spirit are evident in our life, guess what we will demonstrate? Love and compassion. Jesus said, here's how people will know that we're his disciples. He said, people will know that you are my disciples by the holy lifestyle that you live. No, that's not what he said. He said, they will, you will know that you, they are my disciples by their church attendance. Nope, that's not, I don't think that's it either. He said, they will know that they, I, the, the world will know that they are my disciples by the bumper stickers they put on their cars. Nope. They will know that he said this. They will know that are his, are his disciples by how we love. By how we love. A mark of a disciple is love. And if you and I are, are, are loving chapters 13 and 14, it's an incredible story of all that happens on this missionary journey of Paul's. But as we, as we reflect on, on this story, I think the most notable characteristic, the most notable feature and thing that we see in this missionary journey is that Paul and Barnabas were directed by God. That every bit of this, obedience to God's call, reliance on the Holy Spirit, even trials from following Jesus, persistence in sharing the gospel, demonstrating love and compassion, all the result of them being guided by the Holy Spirit, being yielded to the Holy Spirit. And here's what I love. The same Holy Spirit that led Paul and Barnabas is the same Holy Spirit that leads you and I. 
God didn't send a different Holy Spirit to the early church. You and I have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us that empowered Paul and Barnabas to do what they did in carrying the gospel. That same Holy Spirit empowers you and I to carry the gospel as well. And we experience the Holy Spirit through obedience, through reliance, through walking and submitting and yielding to the Holy Spirit. And when we do, God will transform us and he will transform our community as a result of us walking with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your truth and your word is powerful. And and as we look at this missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, we see how it mirrors our own journey where we have ups and downs, challenges and victories and and times where we need to be obedient to your call, times where we need to rely on your Holy Spirit. Even times, Lord, when we need to suffer well and go through hardship well. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to realize and understand that we are called to be your servants, your missionaries, to live on mission by carrying the gospel. Just like Paul and Barnabas carried the gospel, we're to do the same, and we do it through the power of your Holy Spirit, through your divine direction and guidance. And so, Father, we ask that you lead us and guide us today. Lord, as we close out our time of, in worship, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and just reveal areas where we maybe need to obey or we may need to yield certain areas and aspects of our lives. Give us the strength and the courage to do so today. In Jesus' name, amen. To learn more about freedom, join us on our website at freedombiblechurch.net.